Hello, I'm Lara Corrigan. Welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode, we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. Host Tom Melville is on the road this week, reporting for an exciting project we have coming up. I can't wait for you to hear what he's working on. Now, who do you think is responsible for protecting Australian children from the harm of catastrophic climate change? It's generally accepted that large-scale coal burning has contributed significantly to man-made climate change and that unchecked climate change will have a devastating global impact, particularly for young people who'll live to see it. When any coal mine is approved in Australia, it needs to meet certain environmental standards, such as the impact on groundwater or biodiversity. But the responsibility has never really been put on our decision-makers to consider a mining project's impact on future quality of life. Until now, after eight teenagers and a Catholic nun took on the government. This story takes us to Bogabri in northwestern New South Wales. We were driving some cattle yesterday through a lot of that country and, you know, there's just house after house that's just run down, no one lives in them, gardens are all overrun. And, you know, that used to be, they were houses that families lived in and their kids went to school and their parents were in the cricket team and the they were all part of the social fabric and now they're, they're just not there. It's just hollowed out all of that sector of the community, you know, and it's just brutal. That's Sally Hunter. She's describing some of the at least 90 farms near her town bought up by the mining company Whitehaven Coal. The land was purchased as biodiversity offset for mine infrastructure and as a buffer zone to protect neighbours from air and noise pollution. I'm... Um, based on a property outside Narrabri in northwest New South Wales on Gomorrah country. It's very beautiful. So we are nestled in between the Namoi River and the Kapitar Ranges. Yeah, a whole lot of national parks north of us and then fertile plains in between. So lots of crops grown around here and we have grass-finished beef as our enterprise. She's one of many farmers in the region concerned about the impact of mining on their home. There are currently six mines between Narrabri, Bogabri and Gunnada. But I mentioned that we were driving there the other day and as we were stopped for lunch, there was an explosion in the mine, you know, a few kilometres away from us and we, we all watched as the, you know, the big smoke went up into the sky. So, but all of that is happening in what used to be a state forest and what used to be a patch, a very small patch of biodiversity and kind of life, you know, a lifeblood. I feel like our natural areas are, are the lifeblood of, of our survival and that region now is, it's a series of coal mines. Whitehaven, which owns five of the local coal mines, was granted approval for a new one, Vickery Coal Mine. The company is also seeking a mine expansion for Vickery, which is awaiting a final decision from the Environment Minister, Susan Lee. This mine expansion was at the centre of a recent federal court case. The case, Sharma and Minister for the Environment, was brought by eight teenagers with a nun in her 80s acting as their guardian. They sought an injunction on the Vickery coal mine expansion, as well as a declaration that the minister has a duty of care to ensure her decisions don't cause harm to Australian children arising from carbon dioxide emissions. In a world first, federal court judge Justice Mordecai Bromberg ruled that the minister does have that duty of care, and it was written into law. We'll call this the Sharma ruling. Sally Hunter again. This is a recognition that each and every one of these mines is having an impact on our climate 
And I was really pleased to get that recognition because it's obvious, like it, you know, you know in your in your bones that obviously if one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals five or whatever it is, but that hasn't been a way that the decision makers have been thinking about it. And I think it's about time, like it's <laughs> it's 2021 and we know that impacts from climate change are significant and worsening and we're reaching these tipping points and time is not on our side. So we need to make some tough decisions. We went through a period where schools were struggling for numbers. You know, when we first moved here, there was two clubs and three pubs and we're back to one club and one pub now. So, you know, things like that, it's, it's changed. This is Dave Watt. Once built, the Vickery coal mine will be three kilometres from his property. Yeah, well, my name's David Watt. I'm a farmer at Bogenbroy, New South Wales. I farm here with my family my wife and three kids. We moved to the area in about 2007 and we now have two farms on either side of Bogabri. Dave says mining has changed Bogabri. Well, I guess we've seen some fairly dramatic changes around Bogabri due to the coal industry. When we moved here, there were coal mines, but they're on a much smaller scale. And yeah, the rapid expansion over that time has really changed the demographics of the town and just the whole whole area pretty well. Anywhere you go around here, you've got the visual of the, of the coal mines in the distance and it really has changed the whole area. In the last survey of members, there's a very positive response to mining in the region. That's Susan Freda-Sims, Secretary of the Gunnedah Chamber of Commerce. She's a primary producer and works off-farm as a transport and tourism consultant. Gunnedah is the closest big town to Bogabri, and the Vickery Mine would fall within the Gunnedah Shire local government area. Our businesses and families are quite used to having mining and agriculture side by side up here, and also they understand, especially after that last drought, that having all your eggs in one basket is just not okay, that agriculture and mining do sit side by side. And yeah, I think we've got a a very mature approach to to mining. There's no doubt the coal industry has brought jobs to the area, including Bogabri. But Sally, who is also part of the Lock the Gate Alliance, says her town has swapped farming families for miners. It's a town of normally 850 people or something. And when mining really geared up 10 years ago, they put in a a Mac Village temporary housing for mine workers, the majority of whom are, are male, and it's an 850-bed facility, you know, so it's essentially the same size as the town again of just sort of one dimension of, of society and it's not a sustainable way of growing a town, I suppose. But Susan says it's not just direct mining jobs that these companies draw to Gunnedah and the surrounding towns. She says they also bring in other skilled workers like accountants, chefs, nurses, teachers, business owners and tradespeople. Yeah, of course there's drive-in, drive-out because it depends what suits people in their own lives and where they're up to. But I think in Gunnedah, our experience is we do get families moving here, not only to work in the mines, as I say, but actually in all of the surrounding businesses that benefit, that are sort of beneficiaries from mining. I mean, it's the kind of things that we talk to the mining companies about include, you know, hours of shifts so that employees can still contribute to sport after school or 
family friendly travel hours, that sort of thing. Dave Watt has been campaigning against the Vickery mine since it was announced in 2016. With a group of farmers, he fought the proposal for four years, but it was approved by the New South Wales Planning Department and the Independent Planning Commission in 2020. But Dave reckons if the mine expansion were rejected, Whitehaven would scrap the whole project. Dave says if the Sharma ruling sticks, it would be good for the region. Well, you know, if they can get this ruling to stand, well, it could save this area. A lot of the the government, the the politicians that that push for coal in areas like this, they just see it as a good thing for the economics of the town. But what they're actually doing is they're, they're signing a death warrant for our towns. When we get rapid expansions in towns like Gunnedah from mining like this, it's a false economy. There's new houses, there's all these new developments that go ahead. But coal, you know, no, one's, no one argues that it's got a finite lifetime. So when that's all gone, and it will come all of a sudden, Gunnedah's going to be in real trouble. There's going to be, you know, houses, shops, everything's going to be vacant that, with no industry to support it. Susan says what concerns her about the Sharma ruling is that it's outsiders making decisions about her home. Honestly, it is difficult when you live in a region to hear that other people outside the region are wanting to make decisions when they don't live here. So our response would be that you have to have trust in the system You have to believe that there are the checks and balances to make sure things are safe and well done and that there's a quality in how things work. Of course, especially with our agriculture base, we're fully aware we are living climate change and, of course, we understand that eventually one day there probably would not be coal mining in this region, but we need a stepped approach Susan says the new mine would be an asset. In the meantime, we do have coal mines, we do have global customers, and actually the extension to Vickery would create 450 long-term permanent jobs in our shire. It brings confidence, it brings investor confidence, it brings business confidence. We are living here now and we take very seriously as land stewards our role to look after this land into the next generations. Coal mining is just such one part of our economy and our social fabric. When we first met our barristers, uh, one of them is really good at rapping and he shared this rap with us that he did for an old case that he had and it was so good and I think he's writing one for our case so I'm excited to see that. This is Bella Burgermeister. I'm 15. I come from Bunbury in Western Australia and I am one of the eight litigants in the Sharma vs Environment Minister case. Bella was one of eight high school students who brought the duty of care case against the Environment Minister. My parents were super supportive of it. My friends didn't quite understand what I was doing but still supported me anyway. Yeah, I think everyone who knew me knew that this was something that I wanted to do or that I would be participating in it. So I think they were all very supportive. Eight teenagers aged between 13 and 17 took on the government and made a real impact. 
I guess it's another way of taking action, really. So with School Strike, you know, we're taking to the streets and trying to have our voices heard. And then this is another way of taking action, you know, using the legal systems that we have to try to make change, positive change. Um, and I thought that would be super important. And, you know, this is a building case. So the arguments we used here might be able to be used again. So, you know, it was incredible. You know, it's first of its kind. And I thought it would just be great to hop on board. The students from Victoria, South Australia, Western Australia and New South Wales were brought together by their passion for climate action. I was so excited. You know, it's an Australian first, so it's super exciting. Yeah, I was over the moon. We're all going to be hopping on a Zoom call pretty soon to celebrate, you know, because it's such a big win for us. So we're all definitely going to be hopping on a call. But if you're under 18, you need a guardian to back your case. That's where the nun comes in. I've done this before for mainly young asylum seekers or other asylum seekers who for various reasons can't represent themselves, usually people with mental health issues. I've also uh, represented young Indigenous people in a couple of different court issues. This is Sister Bridget Arthur, an 86-year-old Bridgetine sister based in Melbourne. Well, I think it's, um, you know, it's a matter of uh, absolute urgency that we do something about the whole issue of climate change and uh, what's occurring in our globe. Yeah, I mean, I'm very interested in the future for the future that Australia is carving. That's why I'm interested in the whole issue of asylum seekers and refugees. But I think this issue of climate change is also another one of the big moral issues that we're facing today. Sister Bridget says she was awed by the enthusiasm and commitment of her teenage wards. I think realising that uh, seeing young people, and, and except for one of them who lives in Victoria, the others I've only seen on Zoom, but seeing young people passionate about uh, young people and getting them thinking and making intelligent decisions and being ready to be challenged. And, you know, I was so impressed by these young people. Bella says she hopes her case will be a leading example for other young people looking for a voice in the climate conversation. I think it shows that young people are stepping up in this way because, you know, we can't vote yet, so we have to try to use as many distance systems as we can to have our voices heard. And going through the legal system is just another way of doing that. And it's great to see that so many young people are on board with what we were doing. We were thrilled with the results and our clients were thrilled with the result as well. This is a truly historic win. It's the first time that a court has, has found such a duty of care exists. And so we're very proud of the precedent that that sets. But also practically, we think that this judgment has a, has a really important role to play in kind of opening the way for this government to make more sensible decisions when it comes to um, approving or not approving new fossil fuel projects that land on the minister's desk. That's Jack McLean, one of the lawyers at Equity Generation Lawyers who represented Bella, Sister Bridget and the other applicants. I'll let Jack explain exactly what the court declared. So our clients put forward a lot of evidence about the link between the, the extraction and burning of, of fossil fuels, in particular coal, and health, uh, personal injury and death to Australian children. And the court found that the minister, in, in exercising her discretion about whether to approve or not approve new coal projects, in particular the Vickery Extension Project, needs to make sure that her decision doesn't contribute to that harm, doesn't further cause personal injury or death to Australian children. As well as the duty of care declaration, Jack's clients were seeking an injunction for the Vickery coal mine expansion. That's the mine that would move in next door to Dave Watt, the farmer we heard from earlier. That injunction was not granted. 
The injunction was it was a particularly tough one to get because it related to a decision that had not yet been made. So usually when you seek an injunction in a duty of care case, you're demonstrating that the person you alleged that has the duty of care has breached that duty already, given the minister hadn't made the decision about whether to approve or not approve the mine. that The court found that essentially she had not breached the duty yet because she had not made a decision yet. So it was in many ways kind of a technical reason rather than a substantial reason why the injunction wasn't granted. But Jack says the declaration could have the desired effect of the injunction anyway. But we're very happy that we got the declaration. We think that that prevents the minister from approving the mine effectively. In a statement, Whitehaven, the company that owns Vickery Mine, says its pleas and injunction was not granted during the Sharma case. Whitehaven brought up the Sharma ruling during their June quarterly report. I was given a recording of that meeting. The injunction against the minister having been defeated, but with the court acknowledging the existence of a duty of care. In the recording, Whitehaven head Paul Flynn assures stakeholders that the Environment Minister can still approve the project, even if the duty of care holds. The Minister can approve the project and our expectations are that still that that will be the case, but in doing so, the Minister will need to evidence the consideration of the duty. Whitehaven had joined the federal court case as a second respondent to the Environment Minister, but their involvement was very limited. Sally Hunter from Bogabri says by not granting the injunction, the court has given the government an opportunity to take responsibility. Obviously, the judge didn't feel like, you know, he had the power to put in place that injunction. And I saw it, you know, really as an opportunity for the government to set this new policy direction and to step up and really take that opportunity to say, you know, I am the Minister for the Environment, I I am protecting the environment and I'm protecting the future generations. You know, here's my opportunity to say in this instance, no, enough is enough. And so, you know, it could have been an opportunity for change. Um, But, yeah, now that she's or the government's choosing to appeal that decision, I'm not sure what the implications will be. I guess we have to wait and see. So... The Environment Minister Susan Lee's office says she's planning to appeal against the ruling. Sally isn't impressed. I mean, I guess I just find it pretty reprehensible that I'm just not sure who is backing communities, rural communities, and who is backing the environment. Like if our Minister for the Environment is not backing the environment, you know, who is? <laughs> it's... um. Yeah, it's beyond me. Bella says she's disappointed about the government's intentions to appeal against the ruling. I mean, having a duty of care didn't seem like such a big deal, really. It's just saying that she should be thinking about young people and their futures when she makes decisions, you know, and she should be doing that anyway. But having this duty of care makes it legal, and I don't see why she would need to appeal that if she really cared about children's futures. It just really says to me that she cares more about the coal and gas industries than she does about young people and our future and what's going to be happening to our planet. In the Whitehaven recording, Paul Flynn says they look forward to seeing the minister's appeal, saying the Sharma ruling could impact any polluting projects. It's not just about decree, but that any project that has a, a, a greenhouse gas footprint is obviously going to be impacted by this. So the government's definitely minded to want to, to solve uh, this one. Paul goes on to criticise the Sharma ruling for implying that checks and balances in place under the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act 
don't already take climate impact into consideration. It's a strange outcome, you know, this judgment in the sense that the notion that every previous EPBC decision prior to this judge enlightening us was made without due regard to the impacts of any proponents' project on future generations. I think that's, that's not a, a suggestion which really, I think, has any merit. I reached out to a number of people in Gunnedah and surrounding areas who worked for or had ties to the current coal mines, including councillors, but they said they couldn't comment due to conflicts of interest. But Susan, from the Gunnedah Chamber of Commerce, who you heard from earlier, was happy to talk. From the Chamber of Commerce position in Gunnedah, the opportunities for Vickery expansion are positive on the whole and for our businesses and families for future growth, for future investor confidence, business confidence, and also it flows onto the region's economy. So Narrabri benefits, Tamworth benefits. There is a strong benefit from that sort of major investment into our region. And then ongoing, we would have more permanent jobs. In 2019, Whitehaven Coal admitted to stealing water during the drought for its Moores Creek mine. The coal giant pleaded guilty to taking 1 billion litres of water from the Moores Creek water source between 2016 and 2019, despite not having a licence to do so. The company was fined $2 million, but actually maintains that it had been an accident. Sally Hunter says Whitehaven doesn't have a good reputation in Bogabri. You know, there are people employed in Bogabri for these coal companies, so you know, there were some people that are keen for the contracting roles and things that might come from that project. But certainly from the agricultural side of things, there was a lot of opposition and a lot of concern about the water and the agricultural impacts. You know, it's sort of the fact that Whitehaven owns a number of coal mines in the district and the level of social acceptance of that company in particular in this district is not good. And so a lot of that was introduced as well, you know, why should this company be given more opportunities when they've got such a terrible track record? Two years ago, the New South Wales Land and Environment Court refused a new open-cut coal mine near Gloucester in the state's mid-coast region. One of the key reasons cited for rejecting the proposed Rocky Hill mine was its contribution through indirect or downstream emissions to climate change. That mine was expected to contribute 38 million tonnes of carbon dioxide into the environment, The Vickery mine and expansion would contribute an estimated 370 million tonnes of CO2. That's 10 Rocky Hill mines. Here's Dave Watt again. Look, it it is our backyard that's the centre of us, and, you know, it sucks, really. We're trying to farm here in a changing climate, and these politicians want to keep pushing for these fossil fuel projects around us that are causing the harm that we're suffering. It's... You know, it's a real punch in the guts. We've got we've got Vickery, we've got Walls Creek, we've got all these mines here, but then we also have Santos on the other side of us with the Narrabri Gas Project. So, you know, it, it's pretty hard to swallow. That Rocky Hill case was brought by locals in Gloucester who didn't want another mine in their backyard. The Sharma ruling is just another example of people holding the government and coal companies responsible for minimising the harm of climate change. Bella Burgermeister again. I think uh, the ground is shifting about these kind of things now. I think more people are realising that we can use the legal systems to stop these deadly mines from being put in and that it's such an important way to do that, you know, because we now have a ruling that says that the minister has a duty of care to protect young people's futures and that's incredible. So we'll definitely be using that argument in the future.
what would be a message that you'd send to anybody who was interested in taking on a giant like the government or a mining company? I would definitely say go for it. When you have good people surrounding you and there's a good group of you, I think doing something like that is scary, but it's worth it, you know, because it shows them that we're, we care about these issues and that we don't want these things to go ahead. It shows that we have an opinion about these things, especially young people stepping up and saying, you know, I don't agree with this because we can't vote, obviously, so we need to share our opinions some way and stepping up and taking that action is a great way of doing that. Lawyer Jack McLean says the Sharma ruling shows kids want to play an active role in determining the future of this country. It's been very inspiring, I think, to a lot of adults, myself included, to see young people stepping up and really taking to the streets, taking to social media and traditional media, and now taking to the courtroom to have their voice heard. This is a group of people who we must remember can't vote, is quite marginalised when it comes to our electoral system uh, and our legal system, but they are the people that are going to be most affected by climate change. They're going to be around the longest. They're after a livable future, and I think that's a very reasonable thing to ask. Sister Bridget says she hopes the case will create a space for more community action. It's hard to know what actually sparks. I mean, I'm more involved in the whole asylum seeker issue, and I'm always wondering what will be the thing that will make enough people feel outraged about what is being done on their behalf to actually make a difference. So that's a question that stays with me all the time. So I guess it's what do we have to have happen before the catastrophic harms of climate change are actually so evident and so accepted that governments will be forced to make changes. But on the ground, there's anxiety over what's next for communities built on coal. All parties agree coal has an expiry date and it's fast approaching. Sally Hunter says communities can't be left behind. Bogabra is kind of at the coalface, if you like to use that expression, because, you know, this is not the only new development, new coal mine proposed for this region. We really are sort of a, a microcosm of all that activity and, and which way it will be resolved. You know, we don't know, but I would like to see more effort and more policy direction and more leadership shown for our little town of Bogabri and this Namoi region because coal is declining, it will come to an end and we need to keep our communities alive and keep the best elements of our communities thriving. So, yeah, it's crucial times really. Dave Watt again. Well, we want to see a transition. We, we want to see something in the works to to move away from coal, we, you know, where's some foresight? This should have been done 15, 20 years ago, but, you know, it's not too late to start now. We, we need to start on a transition. That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thanks so much for listening. We want to hear from you. Please take part in our listener survey. The link is in our show notes. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. If you'd like to share your story, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. 
Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash voice of real Australia. This podcast is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by me, Lara Corrigan, and your regular host is Tom Melville. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and Chad Watson. Ethan Hamilton is our intern. Special thanks this week go to Ian Kirkwood and Jameson Murphy. This is an ACM podcast. Mm-hmm.